Well, I do want to just say again, uh, while we start today, um, this is my second to last time I get a chance to preach, and I started last week uh, really just focusing on a series of uh, my prayers for you as a congregation, uh, and I shared that over the last, um, when I look back at my time when I left uh, McKeesport nine and a half, or nine, nine and a half years ago, um, had similar thoughts, like, you know, when I read through the New Testament, and I see Paul's writing to the churches that he, these aren't churches he didn't know, these are churches he knew, many of the churches he planted. He has a relationship with them. And that there's a, there's a personal expression that you see in Paul to the people he's writing. And, and you see that he, he looks at them as spiritual children and people that he's had the privilege of, of being able to partner with in, in the gospel uh, last week, as we as we started this idea of like, what are my prayers for you as a church? And I and I think they're uh, the focus not only for this church, but the prayers for the whole church, represented by all the churches in this community and churches throughout the world. Is that I, I pray that we would be a, a church that is growing in Christ, not just trusting salvation and never really going any deeper, but going deeper in your walk with Christ. And that was our focus last week. Today we're focusing on the issue of unity and looking at Jesus' prayer in John 17. We, we see that Jesus specifically, I mean, we often, we most often refer to the Lord's Prayer as what Jesus taught at the Sermon on the Mount, the Our Father, part in heaven. But this is Jesus' prayer, one of his final prayer for his disciples. And, and I, as we're reading, when we read, we're going to read the entire chapter. When we, there's actually a point in the text that he not only highlights the immediate disciples, but he includes each one of us, those who will yet believe, that he's praying for, he's interceding for. And, and you see in, in what Jesus expresses in these verses is his heart's desire, what he's lifting up the disciples, those who, who the Father has given him, who are, who are claiming to follow Christ as Savior and Lord. He's lifting them up before the Father and has very specific prayers, but the one primary focus is the prayer for unity. And, and we're going to see that. Last week, I, I did a survey of the parents and, that were present of just the type of things we pray for our kids. And, and I think that can help us get in the right frame of mind. Uh, we pray for protection. We pray uh, that they would know Christ, that they would grow deep in Christ, that they would have health, that they'd find when they get older, they find a good job, they find favor and success in their work. There's a lot of things we lift up, we pray for our kids, and, and really in a lot, of, a lot of ways that's what Paul is doing when he, when he prays for the churches and the believers in each of the churches that he helped plant and minister to. And what you see in what we were going to read in John 17 is you see a very personal prayer. There's a lot of theology in these verses, but it's also a central key through this whole section is relationship. The relationship between Jesus the Son and Jesus the Father and the invitation to each one of us to enter into that relationship and, and walk not only with Christ, but walk with one another in that type of intimacy and unity. What we're going to do is just walk through each of the verses. We're going to highlight just a few things, and then we're going to focus on some of the key things that Jesus prayed for that relate not only to unity, but there's a few other things that all build to his prayer for unity for the body. So let's pick up in verse 1. It says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. 
glorify your son, that the son may glorify you. Now the hour has come. This is right before the Garden of Gethsemane. He's about to be betrayed, handed over, and crucified. Lifted up upon the cross. And we understand the full story that Christ is exalted not only in being put on the cross and lifted up on the cross, but he is exalted through his resurrection and then his ascension into heaven. But remember, Jesus at times throughout his ministry would say, it's not my time. Now Jesus is saying in these verses, it's my time. The time has come. He said to the Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. You know, there's a pretty powerful or common a couple of the key theological points in these verses. One is that, you know, I've, I've talked to people who say, well, where does Jesus claim to be God? This is one of those verses. Jesus, in, in putting himself in a place of glorifying the Son in talking to the Father, He's, he's focusing and, and lifting up who he is in his divinity. That petition of glorify your son implies the claim to deity because the, in the Old Testament, any affirmation of, of, of that God has made with regard to the glory that he receives, he says very clearly that that glory would be given to no other. In Isaiah 42.8, God said, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. In Isaiah 48.11, he says, for my own sake, for my own sake I do it, for how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. Jesus in this place is not only showing us a picture of the intimacy that he has in relationship to the Father, and it's a picture of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but it's lifting up Christ as God's Son. And, it, and it's central to everything that he says, and, and, he re, and he reinforces it in verse 5, not only in focusing on the way that he's putting himself as equal to the Father, but he, he says in verse 5, Now glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you, before the world existed. That takes us to the book of Colossians, where it talks about, and, and, and even in the beginning of John's gospel, that the, that the word always existed. Jesus, the word, was there at the formation of the world, at creation. He was with the Heavenly Father. Jesus is giving us a picture of who he is, and that while he's been on earth, he's, he was doing the work that the Father gave him to do, and the primary work that he gave him to do is also highlighted in those first few verses that, that Jesus offers eternal life to those who come to him. And, he, and I think it's important for us before we continue moving that, that we understand too often, I think, in our tradition, we focus so much on eternal life as something, well, I pray a prayer to secure something that I, ha I won't receive yet. Does that make sense? It's like God gives us a wrap package and we can open it later. Uh, that, that the eternal life will begin the day that we die and we know that then we'll cross over into eternity or, or we, that eternal life will somehow begin uh, when Jesus comes back for his church. Reality is that's the full, full fulfillment 
of eternal life, but it's not the beginning. Eternal life begins when we enter into relationship with Jesus. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we step into the experience of eternal life because the life of the Son is living in us and through us. Eternal life begins when we put our faith in Jesus, experience our sins forgiven, and invite Jesus to be our Savior and our our Lord. Jesus talks throughout this whole section of, of those who have come to know him and, and that the Father has given to him. It's, it's those people who have believed Jesus is the Son of God and put their faith and their trust in Jesus. And that's the invitation we all have. to. And that's really what, end, what begins when we talk about unity. The first step for us to be one in Christ is that we personally come to faith in Christ and we experience eternal life in relationship with him. In John 17, 3, that that verse is so critical because it reminds us of the relational nature of salvation. Jesus says in John 17, 3, again, I think the words are on the screen, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life isn't something that we wait to open up. It's not a gift. It is a gift, but it's not a gift that we wait to open. It's, It's a gift that we open when we put our faith and trust in Jesus. We begin to walk with him in relationship with him. And when we breathe our last on this side of eternity, we're, we experience the fullness of that eternal life in his presence. I appreciated Jim's comment about Bonnie this morning, just the contagious laughter in heaven. And I, I know looking at the comments, I know that's something I've shared with the family as well. And um, many of you knew, that, know, knew Bonnie, you know that she loved to laugh. And, her, and you would hear her laughter and uh, that joy. She's experiencing the fullness of the eternal life, but that eternal life began when she put her faith and trust in Christ. John 17 continues in verse 6 through 9. It says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know that in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Jesus is making it very clear. He's not, this is not a general prayer for everyone. This is a prayer for those who have put their faith and trust in Christ. He's praying for his disciples. The ones who the Father has given him out of the world. The one for whom, he says in verse 9, for whom you have given me, for they are yours. Those whom you have given me are are those who have come to faith in Christ. They've believed in Jesus. They've put their faith and trust in him as the Son of God, the one who went on to give his life upon the cross and who conquered death in his resurrection. Verse 10, he continues this conversation. He says, all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, and, and they may be one, that they may be one, even as we are one. And in that verse, and we're going to unpack this in a moment, but this is the first specific thing that Jesus is praying for for his, the, the disciples. That 
God the Father would keep them. But he not only highlights that first request of, of that the Father would keep them or guard them or protect them, but he, but he goes on to say that for the purpose that they might be one, even as we are one. So he's introduced his first prayer, his petition to the Father, but even in that he's highlighting the final prayer and petition that we're going to look at in a few verses, is that he is calling for us to be one. Verse 12, it says, While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. It's a reference to Judas. Verse 13, it says, But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Something to highlight there, that final verse is the promise of the joy of Christ. Not only does Christ come in, we enter into this real, in eternal life experience relationship with the Father and the Son. We have the promise of his presence in our life, but in these words, he's reminding us that we have the promise of his joy. His joy comes to fill us. And along with that, he also gives us the promise of his word. Verse 14, it says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is the truth. So Jesus not only offers us his joy in relationship with them, he offers us his word. And his word is central to the things that he's praying for for his disciples and, and that they would not only be kept, but that they would be sanctified in his truth. Verse 18 and 19, it says, As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for your, their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word. Okay, just pause for a second. That's you and me. Verse 20. This is a picture of this. This is Jesus praying this prayer with his, his immediate disciples present. But in verse 20, he's expanding that, the, the picture of the disciples, to include those, even today, who put their faith and trust in Jesus. He says, I do not ask for these only, the disciples that are there with him, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, through the disciples, the apostles' word and their testimony. We have come to faith in Christ because we have heard the report of who Jesus is and, and what Jesus did in the life of the church, and we put our faith and trust in him. And so Jesus, in these words, is praying not only for his immediate disciples in that moment, he's praying for each one of us. Verse 21, it says that they may be all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them even as you love me. 
24 says, Father, I desire that they also, whom, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I've made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Now, I realized last week we looked at one verse. This week we're looking at 26 verses. <laughs> That's a little bit of a change, but we're going we're gonna to focus on just a few of the key things because the reality is when you look at everything that, that Jesus is saying in this prayer, there's specific things that he prays for. And the first is seen in verses 11 and verse 15 is that he, he calls, for, that he says, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which is describing them is, is he's, he's asking them to, to keep them from falling away. This idea of keep could be to guard, to preserve, or to protect. And so he's, he's, it's like Jesus is looking at the disciples and say, Father, these are the ones you've given me. And, and we have that verse that reminds us that everyone who's put their faith and trust in Christ have also been given to Christ. He's praying to the Father and says, keep them, guard them, protect them, preserve them. Keep them from falling away. Verse 15, he, he uses the same word. He says, keep them from the evil one. And some translations would say, keep them from evil. doesn't have the definite article, the evil one. But in either situation that, that we see in that picture, of whether it's praying specifically for protection against our spiritual enemy, the devil, or whether it's prayer for protection against evil in general, Jesus is lifting up this prayer to the Father and saying, keep them, protect them, preserve them from evil, from the evil one. You know, I think we can all agree that in today's life and world, we face a lot of challenges. Do you agree with that? I mean, right now, I mean, this the last couple of years have been kind of crazy. And, and throughout our life, we you may have had times where you were facing challenges and, and maybe you were struggling in your faith and with everything that you were going through. Maybe it wasn't stuff going on in the world. Maybe it was stuff going on in your own life that was, that was turning your world upside down. There's an incredible reminder to know in that in this prayer, Jesus interceding for us, he's praying that we would be kept, that we would be guarded, that we would be protected. And one of the powerful things as we think about these words is that not only do we see in John 17 Jesus' example of praying for his disciples, but we know in Romans 8, 24, and other places that Jesus is not only in our hearts and in our lives, like we talked about last week in Galatians 2, 20, that Christ lives in us, but we also know and we celebrate that Jesus ascended to the heaven, he's at the right hand of the Father, and what is he doing for us? He's interceding for us. That's, that's a, it's fascinating to think about that Jesus is actively, by, by God's Spirit, working in our hearts and our lives, but he is also simultaneously at, at the right hand of the Father interceding for each one of us. And part of that intercession is that we would be kept, that we would be guarded, that we would be preserved. One of my great, my favorite illustrations, I think I've shared this before, that I read was a story that, about God's protection 
and trusting God's strength and, and trusting his protection for us uh, comes from John Ortberg in one of his uh, books he wrote years ago. He shared the story of him and his friends, pastor friends, walking the beach in southern Newport Beach in Southern California, and they were walking across near a bar, and a bar fight had taken place, and, and that bar fight spilled out onto the beach right in front of them. So they're just walking along, none of them very big. These are not, these are not guys that are, have experienced fighting or bar fights, but this bar fight rolls out of the bar right in front of them on the beach, and one of the one of the guys that was getting in the fight was taking a beating, and and John and his friends knew they needed to do something for to protect this guy to save this guy from this beating that he was receiving, and so John spoke up. He says, "Hey, you guys, cut that out." And he said they just kept fighting. He didn't nothing happened. He said, but then there was a change. He said all of a sudden these these, these people that were fighting they stopped. They looked behind, they looked at John with this fear and this concern. And John didn't understand until he turned around to see that the bouncer from the bar had stepped out and was standing behind them. Uh, John and his friends later referred to him as Bubba. They didn't know his name, but um, said, we didn't say this to his face, but that's how we referred to him afterwards. But John describes Bubba, who stepped out behind them, as John was trying to protect this guy who was getting the snot beat out of him. And, and it wasn't anything to do with John that the fear came upon these guys to where the fighting stopped. It was them looking behind John and seeing Bubba, approximately 300 pounds, six feet tall, or, or something like six feet tall, 300 pounds. He said maybe about 2% body fat. He said the man was just huge, like a rock. He said Bubba didn't say a word. He just stood there and flexed. He said, you could tell he was hoping that they would try and have a go at him. All of a sudden, my attitude was transformed, and I said to those guys, you better not let us catch you coming around here again. He said, I was a different person because I had great big Bubba. I was ready to confront and resolve with firmness. I I was released from the anxiety and the fear, and I was filled with boldness and confidence. I was ready to help someone that needed helping, and I was ready to serve where serving was required. Why? Because I had great big Bubba, and I was convinced that I was not alone. I was safe. You know, that, what John is describing there, or John Orberg is describing there in that moment, gives us a picture of the confidence that we have. If, we're, if we have entered into eternal life, we're walking in relationship with Jesus. We're walking in relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God is living in and through us, and we're experiencing life in him. We have the promise that God has our back. We can trust him. Not only is he with us, but he's interceding for us that we would be preserved, that we'd be protected. Verse 17 through 19, he goes on. This is the second thing that Jesus prays for. He says, sanctify them in the truth. And he says, your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in your truth. We've talked about, I mean, we sang about sanctification. Is that been a while since you sang all six verses of any hymn. Um, that's a great verse or hymn. Pull out the Alliance hymnal and just reflect on each of those verses. 
If you really want to understand who we are as a Christian Mission Alliance, focus on those words because it focuses on the fact and much of what we see behind us of Jesus, our Savior, Sanctifier, Healer, and Coming King. Jesus is not limiting who Jesus is, but it's giving us a very clear picture of all the things that Jesus does for us when we put our faith in him. And one of those things is that he sanctifies us. And so we have the sanctifying work that Jesus does in our hearts and our lives when we, when we come to faith in him and he comes to live in us and through us. But we also see that Jesus, in his interceding, his praying for us, he prays that we would be sanctified in the truth. And that idea of being sanctified is being set apart and dedicated to. It's set apart from what is ordinary and usual and dedicated to God and his purpose. It's like when you read through the Old Testament and, and they would take, a, take an instrument or a spoon or, or a, a, some sort of vessel and say, this is going to be dedicated to be used in the temple. It's set apart from ordinary use and dedicated to God's use. That's what sanctification is. It's, it's us being set apart and surrendered to God so that he can do his work in us and transform us. And, and Jesus highlights in this that it's not only a work that we do and that we choose to set ourselves apart to God, but it's a work that God does in us through his word. It's what Romans 12, 2, and that idea of being renewed in our minds, it's, it's God's truth has an, a penetrating impact in us. When we surrender and let God in his presence and his truth in our life shape us, we are changed and we are transformed. I love the fact, though, that Jesus not only gives us the, the praise for the disciples to be sanctified, but Jesus also gives us the example that he himself dedicated himself to fulfill the will of the Father. And he said, I consecrate, Jesus said, I consecrate myself. That's what we see in these verses and what we see coming up in the Garden of Gethsemane is Jesus was willing to surrender his will to the will of the Father to surrender his life, dedicate himself fully to God and his purpose. When we look at that truth, we need to remember that, that while Jesus is praying for us to be sanctified, we need to be actively engaged in that process, knowing that it's important that we're daily soaking in the truth of God's word to let God put his finger on things in our life that we need to let go of so that we can embrace God and his truth and be transformed. Verse um, 18, I want to highlight something here too, because too often growing up in the Alliance, and I think this is true for anyone that grew up in a holiness church, too often we presented an idea of sanctification that was, well, we sanctify ourselves from pulling away from the rest of the world, kind of forget the rest of the world, um, and, and being set apart to God and surrender to God and his plan and purpose does not negate the mission that he gives us in the world. And, and that's where this verse, this verse is smack dab in the middle. Look at verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is the truth. And Jesus' example in verse 19, for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Right in the middle of that is verse 18. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. 
It's important that we understand that being sanctified does not negate our mission. Us being set apart and to be different is so that then when we're living in the world, we're living as salt and light and living different lives that point to Jesus. We're set apart to not only follow God to be transformed, but we're set apart for mission. And Jesus demonstrates that. Verse 21 through 23, we see the final petition that Jesus makes. And it's what he already mentioned earlier in that he prays that the church and his disciples would be one. It says in verse 21, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them even as you love me. Three times in those verses you see the petition, that they may be one, that they may be one even as we are one, describing the relationship between the Father and the Son, and that they may become perfectly one. This, this picture that Jesus is giving of his relationship with his heavenly father gives us a picture of the type of unity that we're to be experiencing where we come to faith in Christ, we have a common purpose. We have a common mind. We have a mutual love, not only for Christ, but a mutual love for one another, and we join together in mission. Jesus again and again would say throughout the, the Gospel of John, that everything he did, he, he was only doing what the Father told him to do and what the Father told him to say. His relationship with the Father was central to his mission and what he was doing. And he invites us in relationship with him where we each come to faith in Christ, we put our faith and trust in him, and we become one in the same mind and the same purpose with a mutual love, the love of the Father, and we join him in mission. I'm going to read a section that was, this was from the ESV Study Bible. He talking about this type of unity. He says, this kind of unity is central to Jesus' prayer. He says, it's not organizational, but it's all-encompassing relational reality that binds believers together with each other and with their Lord. A unity that cannot be achieved only through the, re- a unity that can be achieved only through the regenerating and sanctifying work of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You catch that? It's a unity that can only be achieved through the regenerating and sanctifying work of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, which basically means if we just try to be walking in unity, we're not going to do it. The only way we can do anything in the Christian life is depending upon, this gets back to last week's message. Remember, we've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ that lives in me. The only way we can truly experience unity is by letting God work, regenerating and sanctifying work to be done in our hearts and our lives. And so we read through this passage and we read through the New Testament, we see all the places where we're told to strive for unity, to maintain unity. We've looked at some of those verses in the last few months about the call to maintain unity and to pursue unity. But we need to remember that for us to truly experience unity, We need to allow Christ to work in our hearts and our lives to transform us so that we can truly love one another.
Jesus highlights this truth in John 17, the final verses. He says, Father, I desire that they also, that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. A righteous father, even though the world does not know you, I know you and these know you that you've sent me. I have made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love in which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Look at that last, those last phrases. It's the promise that not only will Christ's love be in us and filling us, the love that the Father and the Son experience with one another, but that his love fills us. But as again, this resonates with what we looked at last week in Galatians 2.20, that not only is the love, that we, the love between the Father and the Son in us, but he says, and I in them, Christ in us. We have to understand that if we're going to walk in unity, and as I pray for the church, and I pray for churches in our community, that if we're going to walk in unity, we need to allow God to do his work in us. Because as much as we are called to strive towards unity and maintain unity and work towards unity, this is really a pattern of so much in the Christian life. We do our part, but it's God that does the work. We have to be available to do our part, but it's God that does the work in us. And, and unity is a part of that. And, and so I, I just want to leave you with a few, a few practical things that I think summarize what we can do in our part. We, we have the promise that Jesus is interceding for us. He not only prayed for us in these verses, but we have the promise that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. We, we, are, we understand that we have to do our part and God is going to do our part or do his part and that brings us to these four things that I'd like to end with today is just try to think if we can get to the final slide. If we're going to grow in Christ and walk in unity, one, we need to focus on glorifying God and the Father and the Son. That's central throughout. It starts with the idea of the Son being glorified, the Father being glorified. You know, something changes in us when we make our number one focus being to bring glory to Jesus. If our desire is not to bring glory to ourselves, attention to ourselves, but to lift up Jesus, that changes our perspective. We need to understand in these verses, it reminds us of the need to cultivate our fellowship with God. Eternal life is being invited into relationship with Father and the Son and His Spirit. John in 1 John 1.7 talks at length about walking in unity. And he says in John 1, or 1 John 1, 7, he says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We need to be cultivating our relationship with Jesus and understand that to, to walk with Jesus means that we're also going to be focused on walking with one another in unity. The third piece is being shaped by God's truth to be sanctified and transformed, and then to be filled with Christ and his love. I firmly believe that as we are transformed by Christ and his love, we can experience the unity that Christ is praying for in these words. If we go deeper in our experience of God's love and his grace, and we focus on glorifying Christ in our lives and the life of the body, We'll experience a new sense of unity in our, not only our lives, but our community can be transformed. Will you pray with me?
Dear Heavenly Father, I just pray that today, that in our hearts and our lives, Lord, that, that you would reign. Lord, that we would truly seek to glorify you in all that we say and do. Lord, that, that as we not only grow deeper in our walk with you and, 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 and begin to understand what it means to walk with you each day and in the depth of, uh, of going deeper in our relationship with you, Lord, help us to understand that we don't do that alone, but you invite us to walk in relationship with one another. And Lord, there's a mystery in that, a mystery in understanding the Trinity and the relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and yet you invite us into that mystery. Lord, help, I, I pray that as we, there's so much in these verses that we could have focused on today, and yet it's so critical that we understand that truly experiencing the Christian life and truly experiencing Christian unity is a supernatural act of God. It's the work of your spirit in our lives. Help us to do our part to make ourselves available to you. But Lord, we pray that you would keep us, that you would sanctify us, that you would make us one in you. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.